Genesis 11, 1 through 9, Reunion Tour 2020. We are, uh, we're continuing that series, and um, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11, 1 through 9 says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, and God, um, I, I pray that you would speak. Uh, I really w- I want to be, it's the same thing every time I step up here, I want to be a vessel for you. I want to speak your words, nothing more and nothing less. I pray by the power of the Spirit, you would allow the people in the room today to hear your voice loud and clear, and that they would then go out and live accordingly. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Church, before we get into this text, I want us to consider its context. The story of the Tower of Babel takes place just after the story of Noah and the flood, Noah and the ark. You all will remember that Noah and his descendants were given the responsibility to repopulate the earth. Um, Genesis chapter 9, verse 7, I believe it is, right after uh, Noah and his family exit the ark, they are told by God that they are supposed to be fruitful and to multiply and to greatly increase in the land. The idea is they weren't just supposed to stay together, but they were supposed to scatter and make babies, which is why it's such a big deal when you read in the story that they chose to stay in one place and to try to build this tower. What we see there is that the people in Babel were living in direct opposition to God's command to God's authority, they were being disobedient to his request and to his call. Then in Genesis chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, we're told that the city of Babel was built by a man named Nimrod. Nimrod. Now, uh, Nimrod was Noah's great-grandson. Noah's son Ham was Nimrod's grandfather. And really, we don't know a whole lot about Nimrod. We know that he's the one who established the city of Babel, and we know that he was uh, a great warrior, and at the time he was considered to be a great hunter. Now last week, Mark was talking about wondering why nobody ever named their kid Elisha. I am pretty sure I know why nobody names their kid Nimrod. It's not great. Um, If you're curious... 
Uh, I looked it up on babynames.com, and it is not currently ranked on the popularity charts. Um, though, I think Nimrod Zimmerman kind of flows off, <laughs> flows off the lips. And uh, Nimrod doesn't just sound bad, but it actually has a bad meaning. It has a bad connotation. So in Hebrew, the name Nimrod means to rebel, or it means rebellion. And so when the author of the book of Genesis shares with us Nimrod's name, I think um, that author is also trying to allude to Babel's fate or Babel's future. Now, the other thing that is happening in the story that I think you need to be aware of before we really um, dig into it is that the people of Babel had learned how to make bricks and mortar. And at the time, this was a huge technological advance. Uh, the ability to build with bricks was revolutionary. It allowed them to build uh, bigger buildings, larger, more structurally sound buildings with less energy and less effort than before. Now, I'm not sure if you all have ever realized this or not, but as humans, we are notorious for not knowing what to do right after some revolutionary discovery. The story of Babel is a perfect example. After they figured out how to make bricks, they thought it would be a good idea to build a tower to heaven. After somebody in our day figured out how to create the internet, we thought it would be a good idea to create cat memes. The point is, oftentimes it takes a while for a society to catch up to its technology. We are, uh, we're, we're known, we, we have a propensity to get a bit ahead of ourselves. So, with that said, just a little recap. The city of Babel is being built by a rebellious leader who is leading a disobedient people right in the midst of a season of significant technological change. Now, you don't have to be a really smart man or woman to realize that is a recipe for disaster. I think it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that God would be so angry by the situation in Babel. I think a lot of people read the story of the Tower of Babel, like if you just read verses 1 through 11, you think, wow, that doesn't make sense. Why, what's God doing? Why is he so mad? But if you get the full picture and you really have a sense of what's going on, I think it makes sense. So the people in Babel, they begin to try to build this tower to heaven. And God disrupts their efforts. The Bible says he confused their language and he made it to where they couldn't understand one another. For the Bible scholars in the room, I want to tell you this just because I think it's a neat find. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 7, the Hebrew word that gets translated to the English word to understand is the word Shema, S-H-E-M-A. Just like though we talk about the Shema, the prayer that Jewish people are to pray uh, every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema gets translated to hear or to understand. So when the people are trying to build the Tower of Babel and God disrupts their plan, he makes it to where they can't experience Shema. They are incapable of hearing or understanding each other from that moment on. 
Now, the way that I want us to talk about this story today is uh, I want us to break it down layer by layer. And I want us to, st to start with like what I would consider to be a, a fairly simple interpretation of the text. That'll be layer one. And then I'm hoping that as we go, we get a little bit deeper and into more complex interpretations. Are y'all ready to go? All right, I'm here for it. Let's do it. We're going anyway, whether you're ready or not. So this is layer number one, probably the most common understanding of the story of the Tower of Babel. On its simplest level, this is a story about cultural and linguistic diversity. On its simplest level, this is a story about cultural and linguistic diversity. Meaning, right now, if you took out your phone and you Googled, why are there so many different languages in the world, one of your first hits would be a reference to Genesis chapter 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel. This was a story passed down in Hebrew oral tradition from one generation to the next to explain why when we look out in the world we see so many different cultures and we hear so many different languages. Both of those things originate in God and have their roots in this story. And before we get any deeper into the text, I don't want you to miss that simple truth. You know, Mark and I talk often as preachers about how and it's not, it's not a great thing that we do, but how you can, when you're trying to dig into a passage of Scripture, we can spend so much time trying to get deep that we miss what God wants to say to us on the surface. But let me remind you, church, that the Bible is complex, but it's not complicated. It is intricate, but it is also understandable. Like, as you dig into the Word, there is value to be found on the surface and in its depths. When it comes to digging into the, the Word of God, the topsoil is just as rich as the minerals to be found below. On its simplest level, I think this is a story about cultural and linguistic diversity. Now for layer number two, and we are going to spend some time on this one, so buckle up. Here it is. Layer number two this is a story about holy roadblocks. This is a story about holy roadblocks. In many ways, the people who were attempting to build the Tower of Babel had the right goals, but they had the wrong motivation. They had the right goals, but they were using the wrong methods. Like they were trying to get to heaven, but they were trying to do so through their own means through their own methods. They were trying to get to God, but they chose the wrong way. Ultimately, they chose the wrong path, so God put a snag in their plans. Now, I would argue in this situation that that is the best possible thing that could have happened to the people in the city of Babel. Because when you find yourself walking down the wrong road, the best thing that can happen to you is for you to encounter a roadblock, for God to put something in your way that requires you to change course to take a new direction. Let me bring this into 2020 right now for you, church. If the path you are on right now isn't leading you toward Jesus, then the most holy thing that God could do for you would be to put a roadblock in your way. If the path that you're on right now isn't leading you toward 
Jesus, then the best thing that could happen to you would be for you to encounter some barrier, some barricade, or some obstruction that caused you to alter your course, to change your plan, something that would make you choose another road. In this case, in this scenario, roadblocks can sometimes be holy because it's God's intention and effort to try to save us from misadventure. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Think about it like this. Imagine that I'm lost in the woods. Uh, I love to hike. I'm lost in the woods. And my son, uh, Langston, who is uh, six years old, uh, Langston is trying to find me. And there are maybe 10 different paths that I could possibly be on. Well, if I had a flashlight, the easiest way for Langston to get to me would be if I held up that light and pointed it in his direction and I illuminated his path. Because at that point, he could just follow the light and he could walk right to me. But if there is no light and there are 10 paths, then what he would have to do is he would have to walk each path and eliminate them one by one until he found the one that I was on. Now, both of those methods are equally effective. Both methods end with uh, me having my son in my arms. It's just one is a bit more difficult and requires a little bit more effort. Now, I have found over the years, church, that Jesus uses these same two methods to get people to him. He sometimes uses illumination, and he sometimes uses elimination. And this is what I mean. Some of you in the room, uh, you've known Jesus since you were like five or six years old. Like very early on in your story, he illuminated your path. He, you could hear his voice clearly. He said, this is the way that I want you to go. This is the way that I want you to walk. And now you've just spent your whole life trying to walk in his light, trying to walk towards his voice. Man, that is illumination. And church, I thank God for illumination. That's how some of y'all got to him. But for some others of you, it wasn't that simple. For some of you, to get to Jesus, you had to go through elimination, meaning that you walked a bunch of wrong paths before you finally ended up on the right one. That is elimination. And if that's how you got to Jesus, I want to speak to you very specifically for you a moment. For, I want to speak to you specifically here. I want you to pay special attention because I think there's somebody in the room or somebody who's watching online right now, and you need to hear this. When you look back on your life, there's somebody. When you look back on your story, all you see are wrong turns and detours. All you see are mistakes that you've made and roadblocks. All you see are plan Bs and changes of plan. But what I want to say to you this morning, church, is, is it possible that God has used even some of those missteps to get you one step closer to him? Is it possible that God knew it was necessary for you to take some wrong roads and wrong paths so that you would finally appreciate being on the right road and the right path? Is it possible 
that when you look back at your story and a lot of things that you see as failures and mistakes were actually you taking the wrong path, eliminating them one by one by one, just like my son Langston would have to do so that you could finally find yourself on the right path, the one that leads you to the Father. Is it possible? That, my friends, is elimination. And when God illuminates the right path, that is a great grace. And when he eliminates the wrong paths, that is also a great grace. Ultimately, what I'm saying is, doesn't matter how you get to Jesus, as long as you get to him. Doesn't matter, the, the method don't matter, as long as you end up in the presence of the Savior. This is what I want you to see. I know that there are people in the room today, and there's a lot of different stories. I don't know all of your stories. You know, I know some of them. Uh, I know about all of you that you've made a lot of mistakes. I know that all of you have done things that you aren't proud of. I know that all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I also know you're here right now. And you're seeking right now. And you're worshiping right now. And you're trying right now. And what I'm trying to say to you is that matters. And if it took you having to encounter some misadventures and missteps and roadblocks, if it took those things to lead you to this place, then I thank God for those things. I thank God for those roadblocks. I thank God for those mistakes. Is it possible that God used some of your missteps to get you one step closer to him? Sometimes he uses illumination and he makes it clear. Sometimes he uses elimination. Both ways are equally effective. One just requires a bit more effort, a bit more energy, and a bit more time. Both end with you in the Father's arms. Both journeys, both paths. The people in Babel were trying to get to heaven, but they were using the wrong goals. They were using the wrong methods, so God put a roadblock in their way. And what I want to say to you today is sometimes even roadblocks are holy. Sometimes the barriers, the barricades that God puts in your path, those things can be holy. That's the second thing. Here's the third one, layer number three. Layer number three. What do I want to say about this one before I even get into it? I, I, want, I want to say that this is my favorite one, but I don't have it figured out yet, Okay. Um, and so what I feel like I'm about 50% of the way there. Mark knows that. We talked about it on Friday. Um, but I'm going to share with you what I got and then we're going to get out of here. So this is layer number three. Layer number three, this story, the story of the Tower of Babel, is a story about hearing and understanding. The story of the Tower of Babel is a story about hearing and understanding. Let me show you something. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were disobedient. You all know the story. They took a bite of the forbidden fruit, and in that moment, we were separated from God. Then in Genesis chapter 11, the people of Babel were disobedient. They all tried to stay together. They tried to build the tower, and in that moment, we were separated from each other. The story of Adam and Eve is about the sins 
of the individual. The story of Babel is about the sins of the community. And in both stories, you'll note, in both stories, God chose to punish through severing relationships. In the story of Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. He severs the relationship between God and man. In the story of the Tower of Babel, they try to build the tower. He severs the relationship between man and man. Now, we know, anybody who knows the gospel knows the reason the church exists is to preach the gospel. And the gospel tells us that at the cross, Jesus restored the relationship between us and the Father. He reopened the lines of communication. So now when we pray God hears us and when God speaks, we can hear him. He repaired on the cross that which Adam and Eve broke. That is for the individual, but what about the community? Like we know that, that Jesus repaired the relationship between God and man, but at what point did the relationship get repaired between man and man? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, verses 2 through 12. I think this is pretty neat. Acts 2, 2 through 12. Somebody say amen when you're there. It is a long way from Genesis, I understand. Somebody got it? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Church, what Jesus did for the individual, the Holy Spirit does for the community. What Jesus did for the individual, the Holy Spirit does for the community. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, everyone continued to speak in their own language, but the Bible is trying to be very clear and blatant with us when it says, but they were once again able to hear and understand each other. What was lost in Eden was restored at Golgotha. What was lost in Babel was restored in Jerusalem, most specifically in the upper room. What Jesus did for the individual, the Spirit does for the community. Jesus restored our relationship with God. The Spirit restores our relationship with each other. What I think we're seeing in Acts chapter 2 is an example of what holy 
spirit-filled, kingdom-minded community is supposed to look like. We see a diverse group of people who are all speaking in their own language. We're told in the text that there are people there from Mesopotamia, people there from Rome, people there from Egypt. They're all speaking in the language of their homeland, and yet the Holy Spirit gave them all the capacity to hear and understand each other. Church, I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but we live right now in a very divided world. I don't know if y'all feel it. I certainly feel it. The world feels the world feels divided. Even in our church, there are people uh, from all different backgrounds, people from all different nations, all different histories, people who have uh, all different stories, who speak different languages, who come from different cultures, people who will ultimately vote for different political candidates. Oh, that God would give us the capacity to once again hear and understand each other that we would realize what a great gift it is that the Spirit gives us the ability to simply listen to one another. In a world where it seems like everybody is shouting, I would love it if our church had the reputation of a place where people listened to each other and that that would be our bond. I have news for you, church. At the table of God, when we're seated there, if you get get seated there, there are going to be people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. There are going to be people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, and who don't think like you. And it is not your job to police the table. Your only job is to enjoy the meal and to listen to your brothers and sisters who are sitting around you. Because maybe in your hearing and understanding them, you'll see why God called them to the table. And maybe when you hear why God called them to the table, you'll also find out why he called you to the table. I want you to try it this week. A little less shouting. More hearing. More listening. More understanding. Like see, if that, see if it doesn't make a difference. Three layers of this story. Layer number one, this is a story about cultural and linguistic diversity. Layer number two, it is a story about holy roadblocks. And layer number three, it is a story about hearing and understanding. Pray with me and I'm done. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I am grateful for your word. I'm praying that you would continue to speak. God, we know your son gave us the ability to hear you, and we know the Spirit gives us the ability to hear each other. Help us to be a people that listen. Even right now, right now in this room, I pray people would be listening for your voice, listening to the Spirit, listen to hear what you want to say to them. And then when uh, this is done and when we're exiting, I'm confident that there's somebody in the room who's got a word they're supposed to share with somebody else in the room. Give us the ability to hear and to understand and help us to realize that that is a great gift from the Spirit. God, I am thankful for those holy roadblocks that led people to this place. Thank you for turning situations around and people around that the world never thought would get turned around. And you're still in that business and you're still doing it. And maybe there's somebody in the room right now and that's their story. Like even just in the last couple of weeks, they just look at their life and it's like it's just been roadblock after roadblock. God, let them know that that 
It's the process of you calling them home. It's the process of elimination. Let them give up some of those paths some of those past paths to get to the one that you are on. And I pray for every person in this room and every person who's watching online that today they would feel their father's embrace. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.